This is So What Does Judaism Say About? Where interesting, challenging, and stupefying topics about life are discussed in the context of Judaism. I'm Rabbi Rick Fox. With me, as always, is the prodigious Rabbi Mayor Beer. We're going to talk today about what does Judaism say about non-Jews? Rabbi Beer, how you doing? Fantastic. I think this is a fascinating question. You know, there are certain religions in the world that, you know, we co- that are called colloquially universal religions where part of the religion is you better be part of this religion or there's big or there's big trouble. Judaism is not like that. We're not looking to convert anybody. There's no, you know, everybody's fine. Everybody's good the way they are. That's an interesting concept. So curious if we could dive in a little bit to what does Judaism say about non-Jewish people? But on the other hand, Judaism does say that there's something special about being Jewish. If there wasn't, what would be the point of being Jewish or being an observant Jew? So this discussion is going to have to have a balance between respecting those that aren't Jewish, and we'll have to describe how Judaism respects non-Jews, and on the other hand, still manages to keep Jewish people special. And we're never talking about apologetics here, right? We're not, we're not going to say anything that's like, oh, really, it's just in the back room secret podcast is about really what we... No, there's something here. You know, it's a, I think it's a very unique and, and fascinating idea that everybody is the way they are, and that's, that's fine. If you're Jewish, you're Jewish, and that, there's something special to it which we'll have to talk about. If you're not Jewish, that's also fine, which we're going to talk about right now. I think that's a very interesting... You know, Islam is not like that. Christianity is not like that. That is unique sort of to our... Uh, existence, even though those are born out of Judaic teachings. Right, correct. So just to give a basic overview, the Talmud writes uh, in Tractate Sanhedrin, quoting from page 105a, that non-Jews are participants in the world to come. The world to come being the next world, heaven, that whole yeah. spiritual so experience. So there, there is no idea that if you do not become Jewish, you are damned to hell for eternity. If you are, oh, it's only if you are Jewish. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> I was just an accountant. Should have been a lawyer. Dow. <laughs> we'll hit the button on the uh, you know the tank the tank machine in the carnival. You exactly. know you're out sitting on the board and you fall into the tank of water. <laughs> exactly. So the uh, the Talmud tractate Rosh Hashanah, uh, page seventeen a, uh, clearly states that the concept of Jewish hell applies equally for Jews and non-Jews, meaning it's the same you know temporary state where where souls go to purify themselves from negativity that they've accumulated. But there's a similar construct. And even passages in the Talmud, which are often sensationalized as being very anti-Semitic, or being very anti-non-Semitic, I should say, um, are not referring to anybody who isn't non-Jewish. The the Talmud writes that the uh, nations uh, refuse to be moral, and therefore, even when they do acts that are moral... Uh, God doesn't reward them reward them fully because they're not uh, committed to, to keeping uh, a moral lifestyle. Uh, this is a quote from above a comma thirty eight a. The Meiri, one of the uh, one of the classic commentators in the Talmud, doesn't writes that this is not a reference to anyone who isn't Jewish. This is a reference to you know national cultures that are you know intrinsically immoral. You know, we'll call them murderous cultures, cultures that seek to dominate other people, or whatever it may be. It's not a reference to anyone who isn't Jewish. It is not an anti-Gentile agenda. That doesn't exist. On the other hand, as we'll see in a second, there are passages in the Talmud uh, that has that have historically been quoted uh, 
by those that claim Jews are anti-Gentile and require require explanation. The um, there's a passage in the Talmud quoting this is from Tractate Yevamos uh, 61a that says Atem referring to the Jewish people, Kiru and Adam are referred to as Adam people, Vein of the Kachavim, Gentiles, non-Jews are not Kiru and Adam are not called seemingly man. Now, what that sounds like is that the Talmud is saying that non-Jews are somehow subhuman. There are. Uh, this this case has been brought, you know, as a, a public accusation of uh, in, in various points in history that the Jewish people view non-Jews as being subhuman. It's a it's a passage which requires explanation. It's interesting because obviously it's it's not true. We're going to see that that it's not true. It's interesting to have that source, and of course you hear that being called from the non-Jewish world saying, "Oh, you consider us subhuman," which of course is. Usually, the 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 up the oppression against Jewish people usually is that that the Jewish people themselves are subhuman. That's what happened in right. in Germany. So, correct. It's an excuse to treat Jewish people that way. If you guys are racist, we can be racist back to you. Wait, it would be a lot simpler if the Talmud just left that out, huh? Yeah, the Talmud isn't for you know Talmud for dummies is not a you know not a book that I think co- will sell very no well. Cliff notes yet? Yeah. So the, the clearest indication of why this needs to be unpackaged is because there's another passage in the Talmud, according to Tractate of Odizara, page 3a, that says, a non-Jew that studies Torah is like a high priest because the Torah writes, Ashayasa osam ha'adam v'chaibahem, you should do them man, and you should live by them. This is a reference to the Torah. It doesn't say Jewish people. It says Adam, referring to humanity as a whole. The same word Adam, in this case, is specifically referencing non-Jews. So when you put the two passages together... You have an absolute contradiction, contradiction in terms, yeah. right? So, in one place it says, one second, only the Jewish people are referred to as Adam. And another place it's clearly discussing in the Torah itself that everybody should study Torah. And if they do, they're, they're considered you know, the, the high priest. Correct. Wow. So this is this is this is something which is just begging for an explanation. The uh, there's a, a what I think is a spot on explanation from the Teferis Yisrael. This is a commentary written by Rabbi Yisrael Lipschitz in the uh, early 1800s. It's a commentary on the Mishnah, on the all six sections of the Mishnah, printed in all of the expanded, you know, editions of the Mishnah. Uh, and he writes, you know, first he starts with this whole long, you know, like tirade against, you know, presumably Jewish people that would view non-Jews as being subhuman. He says, non-Jews are human. They're created in the image of God. They're not animals. Uh, there's, there's no rational way where we can, we can say such a thing about them. And then he says, logically, you have non-Jews that are wonderful people, that have done incredible things for humanity. And he quotes a number of people, historically, that he says is inconceivable that any person with a sense of morality would not think that these people are special. He quotes uh, the inventor of the smallpox vaccine, Edward Jenner. He quotes the uh, he he cites the the uh, individual who brought the potato to Europe, who he says saved innumerable people from famine. Uh, he says Gutenberg, who created the printing press. He's like, look what these people did for humanity. How could you not say that these are special people? Whatever your religious perspective is, it's impossible that these people should not be spiritual enough to participate in the world to come. 
So like, I'm on the edge of my seat. So what, what are we talking so, about so, here? Right. So what's going so on? We have this contradiction. What, what do we make of this? So he, he says the following. He says there's a basic difference between the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people. And there's a pro and a con for both. The Jewish people were given a tradition of morality, which is easily accessible for them. God revealed himself at Sinai to the Jewish people and gave them the Torah. This is a tradition of how to live. The Torah is an all-encompassing way for a Jewish person to live with all of the morality and all of the ethics that you need contained in this tradition. If you want to know how to live and you're in touch with your Jewishness, you have a tradition to go explore. But if you're not Jewish, you have a more difficult time accessing what is going to be proper morals. You have to start analyzing and thinking without necessarily having a strong tradition. And he says that as proof to this, historically we see humanity has become, you know, there's been slips, but as you look at a general trend, generally humanity has gotten better at their morals, at their moral behavior. You know, the concept that we have in the United States now that the government is assumed to be responsible to take care of poor people, of needy people, of sick people, with all the social, you know, nets that the government has, you know, that, that, that I don't think is something that people 500 years ago would have believed to be possible. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. In fact, I, I remember hearing that in the 1800s, for example, conversion to Judaism was put on halt by the Jewish court because people were converting en masse to be taken care of by the community of Jewish people because the government was doing so little. People were just dying in the streets. And that's England. And that was only a couple hundred years ago. You know about this? I, I've heard about this in the, you know, thousands of years before. I wasn't aware that this happened uh, in England. <coughs> the Talmud writes in the times of King David that this was the case. Oh, they did it again. Okay. So... Just this may repeat itself. Uh, so he says the pro and the con is that Jewish people, a Jewish person, has an easy time accessing a moral way of living. But on the other hand, it isn't much work for him to do. Whereas a non-Jew who may not have this moral tradition, but at the same time, if he does discover it and put in that effort, because he's worked harder at that, therefore he deserves more credit for that. That's super interesting. So how does this get back to this contradiction of the Talmud? So if we read the words of the Talmud carefully. In one place, the, the Talmud says, Atam Kuriyam Adam, you, the Jewish people, are called Adam. And in the other passage, it says, Ha Adam, the man. What is that subtle difference? The difference between the word Adam, people, humanity, and the Adam, the person. Right. So Adam is referring specifically to the Jewish people, but Ha Adam, like the men, the man, or the people, is referring to everyone. So he says that the um, Adam was a person created with intellect. He was a person who was immediately aware of his surroundings. He was created an adult. Every other human being was born a child and an infant that has, no, has very little functioning intelligence. So Adam, which is the same word for Adam, is a person's name. The Jewish people are referenced as Adam. They have what, similar to the way Adam, Adam had like a intelligence that he was born with because he wasn't born an infant. He was created an adult. So the Jewish people have this pre-existing, so to speak, set of morality they can tap into. So that is the name Adam, just like Adam. It's a reference to the concept of Adam having pre-existing intelligence. But Ha-Adam just means men, mankind. That is a reference to all of humanity. So it isn't racist at all. So when we say that the Jewish people are called Adam, it's a reference to their tradition. It doesn't have any connotation of being, being superhuman 
or human and the rest of humanity being subhuman. It is a specific pro, so to speak, of the Jewish people. But on the flip side, the non-Jewish people that are moral have an advantage over the Jewish people because they've had to discover it themselves and, you know, get extra credit for their own discoveries. So we really have kind of this, this like, balance between us appreciating our tradition, but also recognizing that, you know, in a certain sense, it's easier for us to tap into. Are the Jewish people ever seen as held responsible for not, and you know, let, not bringing this tradition to the rest of the world? You know, for, in, in Isaiah, we're considered, right, or Lagoim, we're considered the light unto the nations. Goy, by the way, just for the podcast, Goy doesn't mean non-Jew. Goy means a nation. And the Jewish people are also called a Goy because we're one of the 71 nations in the world, according to the Torah. But we're called this or Lagoim, this or to the rest of the nations that we're supposed to embody something in, in, in some way. Is there any fault that, that the Jewish people are, are, are hindered in or, or considered, you know, we're supposed to get out there and really make it happen? So I don't, I don't think that, you know, as you mentioned before, there's any reason for a Jew to proactively proselytize, but a Jew leading his moral life, being a proud Jew, is an example for humanity. And but for proselytization would, would, net, would, would, would imply conversion to Judaism, but the idea that there's a, there's a certain human way that we're all meant to live, and Jews have 613 things that they have to do, and non-Jewish people have seven things they have to do, we're all, but it's all part of the same framework, but no one has to change who they are. Correct, but when you see people that are, you know, like if, if you're going to have, uh, you know, let's say a, a, um, a personal trainer, you're going to have an exercise fanatic who's really into exercise. And the fact that he just keeps his regimen and he's into his exercise should influence people surrounding him to lead healthy lifestyles. Right. So in that sense, if you're going to have people that have, and this is one of like the core ideas of why God chose a specific people to carry a stronger moral responsibility because by doing that, that would have an influence on the rest of humanity. And much of the moral and morals in the West are directly attributed, can be directly attributed to the Jewish people. When they see Judeo-Christian morals. Right, they really mean Jewish. It's Jewish morals. Right, right. And, and it's bizarre, it's bizarre to think about because it's weird, but you know, when you read old Hitler quotes and talking about the, that the, the conscience of the world is the Jew, and we have to rid the world of this conscience. But that there's, it's true. Yes, it's one hundred percent true. This is this Nietzschean philosophy of having man being non-moral, right? And the only way to really prove that point is removing the source of morality, which is the Jewish people. Wah, wah. <laughs> if I, you know, I, I read these quotes, and, and a lot of times when we're talking about the Poland trip. And taking kids, you know, from Penn to Poland, I'll, you know, we'll read these 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 quotes from Hitler, and uh, and sometimes I just look. I say, you know, do you believe that? You know, he believed that. Do you, you know, <laughs> right. you find out Hitler was more, you know, believed this way more than a lot of people would. And, and what we're talking about here is is it's powerful stuff. Yeah. So the, I, I end off with a point. This idea that like you know people will then mistakenly say that like the Jewish people have the um, like a monopoly on morality. But as we mentioned from the Tiferes Israel. While they do have a tradition of morality to tap into, this doesn't mean that Gentile nations don't have moral lessons for other people to learn. And in fact, Ratzalaga Cohen, one of the Hasidic masters, says one of the reasons why the Jewish people have traveled through so many different countries and cultures and regions in their exiles is because every nation has certain unique moral characteristics that it excels at. The Jewish people should pick up those lessons as they travel through history, through different cultures and different peoples and incorporate that and help spread that those morals. So in fact, 
what the Jewish people, this is a Kabbalistic idea, but also a simple idea, should do their best to influence, but also to learn from their surroundings. It's not like, it doesn't have to be a one-way street. It can oh, be a wow. yeah, very healthy sure. relationship that we have to the rest of the world. Absolutely. Beautiful. You know, it, it is amazing. It, it's, it's a long journey, 2,000 years of, of the current exile, you know, and we have seen sort of the, the, the largest rise in Judeo-Christian values, uh, or as we say, Jewish values, as you, as you pointed out, with, you know, with, with, the, with the religions of Christianity and Islam. And certainly, you know, we all, we all feel this idea of, you know, what it means to be a Jewish person, what it means to be a non-Jewish person, and, and we all have roles to play, and it's, it's important to keep that in mind. 